You've heard me talk about Morning Kick, used by former karate champion Chuck Norris. It's a daily drink from Roundhouse Provisions that combines ultra-potent greens like spirulina and kale with probiotics, prebiotics, collagen, and even ashwagandha. Just mix with water, stir, and enjoy. Unlike other green drinks out there, this one tastes similar to strawberry lemonade, and I enjoy it. I know I don't eat as many vegetables as I should, but Morning Kick has helped me make up for that, and I feel great. I have more energy and better digestion. It's an easy part of my morning routine. My wife started taking it as well. Go to roundhouseprovisions.com forward slash Harris for up to 44% off your regular priced order. Plus, every purchase is backed by a 90-day money-back guarantee. So if you want to experience smoother digestion, a boost of energy, and just an overall healthier body, then go to roundhouseprovisions.com forward slash Harris today. Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. Got a few things to talk about today that are important. I'm, I'm excited. We're going to be talking to Chuck Baldwin, who is a pastor now, but uh, also an author. Uh, he actually wrote a book on Romans 13. He's run for the presidency uh, under the Constitution Party's banner. So want to get his take on this whole uh, civil authority, Romans 13, Constitution debate. There's many facets to it, and I think it'd be great to pick his brain on some of those questions. Also, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the new social justice narrative that is emerging. Uh, you probably could have predicted it, but I'm going to take you through a few things just to show where it's popping up and um, how we should probably think about responding to it, because we do need to start thinking about this. Um, I guarantee you, after the dust has settled on this COVID-19 stuff, we're going to see an aggressive push to claim that there are so many disparities that exist in minority communities uh, as far as healthcare, and we're going to need to do something. We're going to need to do some redistribution of some kind in order to fix these inequities and, um, and, and so I, we, we need to discuss that. We need to talk about what, what does this mean uh, before we get there, because we know it's coming. We see the signs of, um, of it coming. So how should we respond? Let's at least get that conversation started. Uh, before, though, we get to all that, I'm, I'm terrible at this. I usually forget to make announcements. I, I think, oh, I should probably tell my audience something. And then I totally get absorbed in the topic and I forget to tell all of you. So a few things. Number one, there is a big episode coming either later this week or the beginning of next week, depending on how much I get done. I, I'm in the middle of a lot of stuff right now. I know some of you are um, you know, very, uh, well, you're not busy. You have a lot of time on your hands because you were laid off. I'm not one of those people. In fact, everything is ramped up for me right now. So, um, so we'll see what happens. But I'm hoping at the end of this week, I'm going to have a bombshell episode uh, to bring to you. And if you're interested in social justice movement, evangelicalism, Southern Baptist Convention stuff, I will say no more because I don't want to give it away. But you're going to want to check out that video uh, that's coming. Uh, also, uh, if you have not subscribed on Facebook, not pressuring you to get a Facebook. I would never do that at this point with the way Facebook's been cracking down on it, even my material. But if you have one already and you have not subscribed, please consider... Um, uh, I, I guess it's not subscribing on Facebook. I think it's liking. If, if you have not liked the page, Conversations That Matter, go to the info section right below this video if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, or if you're listening on a podcast, it'll be in the info section wherever it is on the service you're listening to. Click that link and uh, give me a like. Give me a review if, um, if you feel so inclined. Uh, but the reason I'm saying that is actually for your benefit, not for mine uh, so much. I, I, I actually released um, a video last Sunday I think it's like 11 minutes long uh, on 
Resurrection Sunday and some reflections. And um, believe it or not, there is material I release on Facebook, on Twitter. Um, I have some other social media outlets as well. And I have a Gab now. I have Minds. I'm experimenting with some alternatives. But I release stuff on some of those platforms. And uh, you, you, it, you know, may not see it if you're just watching the YouTube channel. So if you're interested in that, uh, go check out uh, the Facebook page and like it. Uh, one other announcement here. Oh yes, uh, submit questions. That's right. Uh, I told my patrons about this about a week ago, and we've had trouble nailing down dates, but we finally nailed one down. Uh, Ad Robles and I. Um, along with Josh uh, Summer, uh, I think. I, I think all three of us are on the same page at this point. Um, it, it's been one of those things. Two of us will get on the same page and then the other one can't do it. And now all three of us are on the same page, I believe. For this Monday, uh, we're gonna be recording. I may release it later in the week, we'll see. But we're, we're gonna be doing a video on dating and marriage. You may ask yourself, why are we, we gonna do that during this pandemic? Aren't there more important things to talk about? Well. Maybe, but maybe not because, um, you know, I was talking to my neighbor the other day and I said there, I predicted, I said, there'll be a baby boom probably in about nine months. And he said, yeah, there also will be probably a divorce boom. And I hadn't really thought of it, but then um, I was talking to my dad, who's a pastor uh, the other day, and uh, he was saying he's already starting to see signs of um, marriages, not necessarily in the church, but um uh, with people in the church telling him, I guess, about situations, uh, uh, people that they know um, uh, that are now finally together because the pandemic has forced them to be together in quarantine, and they realize maybe they don't like each other as much as they thought, and they're looking to file for divorce. And I'm wondering if there's something to that. And so um, for the last few weeks, we've been trying to get together an episode on dating and marriage. And if you have questions on any of that on relationships, uh, please submit them. Uh, I generally will see comments. Uh, I try to at least I don't always see them, but comments on the YouTube channel. Um, if you go to the Facebook page, you can leave comments there, you can message uh, the conversations that matter on Facebook if you have specific questions about dating or marriage. Uh, it's a tricky subject. Honestly, I, I think I changed or tinkered with my philosophy on that throughout my dating and courtship uh, experience. Um, I, I tend to, I'm giving myself away here, I tend to favor a courtship model more. So maybe you can ask a question about that. What's the difference between the two? And uh, we can get into it. But um, I, I, I definitely have learned, <laughs> now I'm married, uh, what a, a, maybe a wiser way that I could have done some things was. And um, I'm sure AD and Josh have similar experiences and hopefully we can bring the word of God to bear on that discussion. So there's there's my advertisements, my announcements, and now let's get into uh, the main thrust of this episode. I want to start by talking to you um, about the social justice push, and then we'll get into the Romans 13 and civil government stuff. But uh, this, th th these were some videos. I've been seeing so many videos because it's a crazy world we're living in right now. But these were some videos I saw last week. Uh, that came out of Philadelphia. I want you to watch this. On public uh, transportation. If you do not have a mask, you cannot ride public transportation, sir. Sir, you have to get off the bus, you have to get off the bus. Sir. Sir. Oh. 
I'm gonna have the cops take you off, one or the other. You have to get off, you have to get off, you have to get off, let's go. I have to get off? Yes, sir. You can go ahead, is You don't have no mask, let's go. Let's go, you gotta get off, let's go. Let's go, you gotta get off, let's go. As you can see, someone from the bus company gets on the bus and asks everyone to get off the bus if they don't have a mask. And and for social justice warriors, it's important to note the skin color. So I don't usually do that, but in this case, it's gonna be important for what we're about to talk about. So I will note the man is white. I don't know if he's Italian, I don't know exactly what he is, but he would be categorized in the mind of the social justice warriors as a white man telling a number of folks, some of whom are minorities of various kinds, to uh, get off the bus. And then he he gets forceful. He goes to the back of the bus, and there's uh, some folks back there, and they all have either, you know, like a um, fr from the video it looked like at least, clothes wrapped around their, their face. Or one guy did have some, he had some kind of a scarf or something, and that wasn't good enough. And the one guy, the prominent kind of one in the front there, that's like, seriously, I have to get off the bus? Well, He's a black guy. <laughs> he's he's a person of color, and he's uh, you know getting discriminated against, if you want to put it that way, uh, because he does not have a mask um, from this white representative of the bus company. And so then the next video you see, and these were connected, so I'm assuming this is the same bus or the same city. It's got to be Philadelphia. It's in the same tweet that went out. Uh, some policemen, white guys again, dragging. Uh, this this black guy off the bus, and I muted some of those clips because there was some language in it I didn't think you needed to hear, but he's very angry. And uh, one of them even takes his phone and just throws it on the ground, which to me is just amazing that you know a police officer uh, would do that. But, but I mean, they're, they're purposely trying to stick a needle in this guy's eye. Now, under normal circumstances, I just want to ask you, what would be the reaction from the social justice warrior crowd, what would be the reaction under normal circumstances? Wouldn't that video be played on the news, uh, maybe even national news? Wouldn't that be like a national outrage? We'd probably be hearing about it, but because it's COVID-19, that doesn't even make, a, make the headlines at all. It probably didn't even make the local headlines in Philadelphia. Uh, it, it, it was a fairly unpopular tweet that I happened to um, stumble upon. And so um, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because I, I wanna make a point about a few things. Number one, for those who are very serious about um, racial inequities, uh, discrimination, all the things that social justice warriors claim to care about so much, for those who are very serious about that, 
the thing that you'd think they should be the most concerned with right now, and this includes evangelicals who are on the social justice train, they should be concerned about government overreach right now. You'd think that would be the biggest thing that they'd be screaming about. Um, I mean, if you can, if Russell Moore can hold Caring Well conferences with the ERLC and they promote their abused uh, victims and, and our job is just to listen, we just need to listen, that's it. That's our only job and pastors need to learn from these, um, these victims because they're going to tell us how to handle abuse. If that's the way that we, we treat abuse in the church and, and we do this across the board with all the different victim groups that uh, evangelicals and the broader social justice movement want to platform, if that's how we do it, what about victims of state overreach? What about pastors? who have been discriminated against because of the authorities coming in and then you know, ticketing all their, um, their members for showing up at a drive-in church or something like that. What about that? What about Rodney Howard Brown? I talked about him last episode. Shouldn't we then put them on the conference circuit and we should all just listen, right? Because they were discriminated against, against by another hierarchy, the government. And, and let's make matters now even more easy for the social justice crowd now you have in this in the video I just played, you have white police officers treating a black man on a bus this way. Shouldn't we all be up in arms about that? But I'm not seeing it. At least not yet. I'm not seeing that kind of outrage. In fact, I'm seeing the opposite. I'm seeing people scared for their lives and for the lives of others. Um, and upset when someone doesn't wear a mask or when someone is careless and negligent. And it's, it's just our duty to comply no matter what. So I, I want to point this out. I think this will be important to remember this uh, in the future. Now, I say that to say this. The Surgeon General put out a video last, well, it wasn't him that put it out. It was the administration put it out, but he spoke on camera during a press briefing last week. I want you to listen to what the Surgeon General had to say. Here we go. At the President's direction, yesterday I met with 2,000 uh, Hispanic leaders from uh, their communities, and today the Vice President led a phone call that I was on with hundreds of African-American leaders, including the Reverend Jesse Jackson, including Derek Johnson of the NAACP, including the National Medical Association and the Black Nurses Association, to talk about some of the alarming trends we're observing regarding the impact of COVID-19 on communities of color. And you've heard the stats in New York City, uh, Hispanics uh, represent the majority of deaths. In Milwaukee County, blacks are 25% of the population, but almost 50% of the cases and 75% of the deaths. So what's going on? Well, it's alarming, but it's not surprising that people of color have a greater burden of chronic health conditions. African-Americans and Native Americans <clears throat> excuse me, develop high blood pressure at much younger ages. It's less likely to be under control and does greater harm to their organs. Puerto Ricans have higher rates of asthma and black boys are three times as likely to die of asthma as their white counterparts. As a matter of fact, I've been carrying around an inhaler in my pocket for 40 years out of fear of having a fatal asthma attack. And I hope that showing you this inhaler shows little kids with asthma all across the country that they can grow up to be Surgeon General one day. But I more immediately share it so that everyone knows it doesn't matter if you look fit, if you look young, you are still at risk for getting and spreading and dying from coronavirus. The chronic burden of medical ills is likely to make people of color, especially, less resilient to the ravages of COVID-19 
and is possibly, in fact, likely uh, that the burden of social ills is also contributing. Social distancing and teleworking we know are critical, and you've heard Dr. Brooks and Dr. Fauci talk about how they prevent the spread of coronavirus, yet only one in five African Americans and one in six Hispanics has a job that lets them work from home. People of color are more likely to live in densely packed areas and in multi-generational housing which situations which create higher risk for spread of a highly contagious disease like COVID-19. We tell people to wash their hands, but a study showed 30% of the homes on Navajo Nation don't have running water. So how are they going to do that? In summary, people of color experience uh, both more likely exposure to COVID-19 and increased complications from it. But let me be crystal clear. We do not think people of color are biologically or genetically predisposed to get COVID-19. There is nothing inherently wrong with you. But they are socially predisposed to coronavirus exposure and to have a higher incidence of the very diseases that put you at risk for severe complications of coronavirus. But as the vice president shared on the call this morning, this history, and I want you to hear me say this, it does not have to be our nation's future. We're taking steps now in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic to reach protect and strengthen all communities impacted by this disease, and especially our communities of color. More details will be forthcoming, but we are actively working as uh, the Vice President and the CDC Director laid out today. Data collection, targeted outreach to communities of color, and increasing financial, employment, education, housing, social, and health supports so that everybody has an equal chance to be healthy. And I want to close by saying that while your state and local health departments and those of us in public service are working day and night to help stop the spread of COVID-19 and to protect you regardless of your color, your creed, or your geography, I need you to know you are not helpless. And it's even more important that in communities of color, we adhere to the task force guidelines to slow the spread. Stay at home if possible. If you must go out, maintain six feet of distance between you and everyone else and wear a mask if you're going to be within six feet of others. Wash your hands more often than you ever dreamed possible. Avoid alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. And call your friends and family. Check in on your mother. She wants to hear from you right now. And speaking of mothers, we need you to do this, if not for yourself, then for your abuela. Do it for your granddaddy. Do it for your big mama. Do it for your pop pop. We need you to understand, especially in communities of color, we need you to step up and help stop the spread so that we can protect those who are most vulnerable. This epidemic is a tragedy, but it will be all the more tragic if we fail to recognize and address the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 and an array of other diseases and risk factors on communities of color. The task force and this administration are determined not to let that happen. The president, the vice president, has said we will not let that happen. We can't fix these issues overnight, but I promise you we will work with your communities to quickly and meaningfully move the needle in the right direction. Nothing less than the fate of our families and friends, my family and friends, depends on it. So this is the new narrative. There's disparities. Uh, there's, you know, pre, the pre-existing conditions are caused because of the environment uh, that people of color live in. And now we need to address them. Now is the time. So this is unrelated in some ways to COVID-19. But we're, we're taking now the opportunity of COVID-19 to say, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. He even said, if you feel alone, you know, don't feel alone. You're, you're not alone. Because why? Because the government's here. And the government is going to be, the federal government, again, uh, where this is coming from, is going to be the one to solve these, these problems, these inequities. And so, um, you know, it, it's funny to me. I've, I've seen so many things. I can't keep track of them. But 
we're shooting ourselves in the foot because you know I've, I saw there was a, I forget what city it was in, but it was a Whole Foods store, non-essential. Whole Foods shut down. Whole Foods even responded. We're we're non-essential, but Walmart is essential. So you're you're purposely now making a choice for people on where they can go and get something to eat, and you're gonna make them get the the option that's not as healthy because we're non-essential. Uh, I saw a dad uh, playing ball with his daughter in Colorado, wife sitting on the bench, police come up, ignore social distancing guidelines, arrest the dad for playing ball with his daughter. In New York City, I saw, uh, I think it was a married couple. They're sitting on, uh, it, it, it was uh, like a bench area um, and police officer comes up, you need to separate. And they're, they're saying, seriously, we're married. Said, oh, I mean, you need to separate. I mean, this, these stories are coming out all over the place. And I don't hear the evangelical leaders that we're supposed to trust even talking about them. Um, to Al Mohler's credit, finally, I think it was like Friday night or Saturday, he spoke up against, in strong terms, against what was happening in Louisville. I mean, he didn't support Rodney Howard Brown at all, uh, even spoke out against really what Rodney Howard Brown was doing in his case. But then then when it's in his backyard, when uh, the government is singling out drive-in services, he spoke out. And I'm, I'm glad he did. Better late than never. Um, I, <laughs> I also noticed, side tangent here, I also noticed on his Ask Al anything. Uh, it was like a T4G special live stream. I think it was last, it was a couple nights ago, but he, he sort of endorses Trump using like three, it was like many paragraphs to do it. He didn't just say, I support Trump. He like did a whole thing and yeah, you could tell he was nervous about it, but he did. And, um, and, and he really was speaking up against Democrats. And I have, it's the same question that's always been in my mind about Al Mohler why don't you talk about what Russell Moore's doing? Why don't you talk about your own backyard, Thibidi Anabwile and Walter Strickland and Jarvis Williams and the list goes on. You know, why, why are you so against the national Democrats, but the ones that you actually have control, you have some influence on, you, you don't publicly denounce some of what they do. Um, and I could go on a big tangent about that. I'm not going to, but, uh, but all that to say, I, I, will, I will credit, put credit where credit is due. Al Mohler came out against what was happening in Louisville, Kentucky. But, it's silence for the most part from most big evangelical leaders. They're not talking about this police state that's being set up right in front of our eyes in many municipalities and states. Uh, it's just not even on their radar. I went to the coronavirus in the church thing, the Ed Stetzer thing. And, you know, there's advice there on how to shake someone's hand, alternatives to handshaking, real helpful guys. Um, nothing that I could find there on government overreach concern about any of the things that I just mentioned, the things I've been talking about for now about a month. So, so this is where we are though. But, but here's the thing, the concern though, even though you'd think the police state would be something to be concerned about, the concern they actually have is, and, and we're going to see this more and more, the disparities, the social justice <laughs> train is just hitching itself to this. Uh, let me show you some examples of that real quick. Uh, we got, oh, <laughs> before I go any further, um, the, the Surgeon General. So <laughs> uh, on March 4th, Ed Stetzer says, this morning, I met with the Surgeon General. And during the meeting, I asked him how churches might be preparing. Here is a story based on that conversation, including the significant news that church should limit hand-to-hand -hand contact. So he, he does this whole thing in Christianity Today with the Surgeon General, who we just watched. Uh, and then the exchange with Ed Stetzer. Advice for churches from the Surgeon General preparing your church for coronavirus. And, and he, he posts. Um, so, so they know each other somehow. There's a relationship there. And I'm wondering who influenced who. Uh, and, and part of the reason I say that, I, you know, I've, I've already showed you where Ed Stetzer's really big on this anti, we got to stomp out this anti-Asian racism that's going on right now. He said it in multiple places. 
Uh, but I but I noticed and I stumbled on this. I wasn't looking for it. I was doing research on something else. But Ed Stetzer has written for Sojourners, like not once, but like multiple times. Sojourners, if you don't know, that's Jim Wallace's organization. Jim Wallace, um, you know, essentially, he and he admits this himself. I'm not putting words in his mouth. He said this in an interview in uh, 2010. He said when he was um, in the student movement in during the, in Michigan State University in the 60s, he was a communist. He says this. And in 1979, this is after he, 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 he was a Christian, he you know, re received Christ, he says, at the age of six, and got born again, all of that. And then he basically loses his faith because of um, influence of teachers um, in high school, teacher in high school, things he read in college, um, looking at the inequities around him in Detroit, which he says was the most segregated area of the United States. I'm sorry, indulge me this tangent real quick because I've been reading up on Jim Wallace. So Jim Wallace goes through this transformation, rejects Christianity, goes with the new left, uh, becomes um, an operative in the SDS, Students for Democratic Society. Uh, he gets arrested multiple times. He organizes protests. And then he gets disillusioned with it and comes back to the Christian faith. But, but he says that he, he had fresh eyes when he came back. And he brings all his new left ideas with him. And he didn't understand the whole gospel until he finally re read the Bible with fresh eyes, which means, which, which, you know, you wonder, so what happened when you were six? Were you saved or not? Because you didn't understand the gospel back then, but I digress. So he starts um, the post-American uh, first, and then, and then it becomes Sojourners in, I think, 1975. And 1979, this is after all of that, he says uh, in a, it's a missions magazine, and I have the source, he says that, Basically, he's looking forward to the day when the church, he, he predicts that there's a day coming and he's looking forward to it, that the church uh, will be able to look at the world um, through Marxist eyes, essentially, and that the young evangelicals are going to bring this in. And so he, he weds Marxism, he weds um, the new left ideas that he adopted during his high school and college years with the Christianity he had when he was young and creates this new synthesis. And that's Sojourners. And he's extremely ecumenical. Uh, he doesn't think that, you know, Catholics and Protestants and Reformed and Arminians and uh, you know, mystics and go down the line, um, it, those distinctions don't matter. The only thing that really matters, he says this in his 1976 book, um, uh, I'm trying to remember the title, Agenda for Biblical People. He says the, the only distinction that really matters is, are you part of the establishment church or the biblical church? And the biblical church, of course, believes in all the new left ideas. That's Jim Wallace. All right, you have a big bio biography, more than you, you bargained for here. Ed Setzer's written for him, written for his publication multiple times. Evangelicals don't, like conservative evangelicals, don't write for sojourners. What's going on? So I, I don't know a lot about Setzer. I haven't done like a, a big deep dive, but something is up with that guy if he's accepted in that crowd and he's writing for those for those guys. So that's why I, I wonder, I was like, did he... Did he influence maybe the Surgeon General? I don't know. I don't have any evidence that says he did. Maybe the Surgeon General influenced him. I don't know. But there's a connection there of some kind. Now, here's, here's what's also being said out there. Uh, Christianity Day. It's hard to close black churches amid COVID-19. And, you know, you read the article and basically, you know, we, we should do it. Yeah. <laughs> They're not calling for, hey, this, is, this lockdown's excessive and maybe churches should be uh, not singled out. Maybe maybe they are essential. Um, the article is basically saying that, you know, we just got to basically check our privilege. We need to understand that it's harder for the black churches during this time. 
Uh, and then just here's a few other sources. And there's so many of these, but here's Camilla Harris. Here's uh, the Reverend William Barber, both saying the same thing. Look, um, th this this horrible situation we're in right now, we can't ignore the underlying reasons why people, especially people of color, have these pre-existing health conditions. And that's what's killing them, is pre-existing conditions. Um, they don't have access, you know, to, to exercise and healthy food, et cetera. You know, it's killing them. Because look, obesity is one of the biggest pre-existing conditions. Um, if you have, um, uh, oh, like, oh, I'm trying to remember now, diabetes, there we go. It was on the tip of my tongue. If you have diabetes, that's a huge pre-existing condition um, that you know could be be the difference between life or death uh, if you get this. And so they're, they're saying that these lifestyle choices really aren't choices; they're the results of the environment we live in, and that environment was shaped by. And you're you're going to find once this gets rolling, it's white supremacy's fault again. And so we got to be prepared for that. So so how do we um, become prepared for that? And um, and, and here's, here's one of the first things I want to mention to you. Here's a disparity you're not going to hear about too much, but to NPR's credit, they talked about it uh, back on April 8th. Um, women are doing better than men. I'm going to read for you a quote. People started noticing uh, this almost as soon as the first cl clinical reports came out of the Wuhan describing the cases in China. There was one large study that looked at nearly 40,000 cases, and it found that the fatality rate was higher for men. It was 2.8% for men compared to only 1.7% for women. And that's basically held true as the virus has moved to other countries. Like in Italy, there was this one study of 1,500 cases of critically ill people with the virus who were admitted into the ICUs, the intensive care units, and about 80% of them were men. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. So men are doing much worse than women. Are we going to talk about all the the problems that the, the stress that men have and and all the, the situations that led to men dying at higher rates than women. And then are we going to talk about solutions? I mean, we got to re redistribute some income here. We got to give more resources. We got to make more things available. We need to. Are we going to do any of that or do we just not talk about that? Does that men don't matter <laughs> because they're they're higher up on the intersectionality pyramid? worth asking. If we look at it, we could slice this pie in so many ways. You realize that if we just want to look at urban versus rural, urban versus suburban, I mean, if you're in a place that has a lot of people around, then you have a greater chance of getting the virus. If you live out on a farm and no one's coming into town, you have less of a chance. Does that mean the farmer now needs to give to those uh, in the city? Um, he, uh, through the government, not his own charity, mind you, but the government needs to take and come and steal or take from that farmer. Um, I mean, w what other disparities can we come up with? I mean, I'm sure there's probably tons. If, if we start really analyzing all the data, uh, children seem to be doing much better than elderly people. I mean, do we need to take their allowance now so we can give it to those? I mean, where, how far do you take this? And they're so selective about the disparity that they want to use. It's, it's an agenda, guys. This isn't, this, as good as their intentions may be on some of this, there's an agenda driving this because they arbitrarily choose what communities they want to assist um, in this. And, uh, and, and the ones that aren't on politically correct to assist, they, they don't have any interest in. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Russell Moore and what he's been up to lately. I know I mentioned, I think it was two episodes ago, that he's really beating the drum hard for this whole government loans going to the church. Hey, if you're a church, you should feel comfortable with it. It's fine. There's no strings attached. 
And my response is essentially, there's always strings attached. There's always dependency you're setting up. You're looking now to the government to save you instead of God. You're, um, I mean, we, we see this happening, um, and, I, and I wish I had the figures to pull up right now. I know I have them saved somewhere, but we see this happening with uh, Christian education in general. Once you start accepting government loans for that, you become dependent. You need the government loans. You have to abide by regulations. And that's one of the scary things is, um, Go, moving forward, you have a Democratic administration, you have, you know, Democrats controlling Congress, and you're going to get some hate legislation passed uh, that is going to essentially change um, the discrimination policies that schools need to enact in order to receive the government loans and funding. And when churches start taking money from the government, like directly, uh, you know, in the form of a loan, and supposedly, and I don't know, I've heard different things, supposedly the loan's supposed to be forgiven, etc. Well, either way, you start setting up the government as the place that, you know, not only bails out big businesses, as we found out uh, after the 2008 crash, but now they're going to bail out churches, they're going to bail out individuals, they're going to bail out everyone, um, even though it's our money. If you're going to start doing that, then uh, you're, 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 you're shifting the culture of individuals and churches into expecting that the next time something like this happens and there will be a next time that the government's just got to come in and save us and you don't think there's going to be strings attached you don't think people the next democratic administration is not you know they're going to forget who took money i i've heard and and i don't have a primary source to back this up but someone i trust told me that just about every southern baptist entity and seminary except two has taken money uh, for, has applied for money under the CARES Act. So th this is where we're heading, guys. We are, we're, I mean, it's not a far jump to go from this to being just an entity of the government. Why shouldn't it be like uh, some countries in Europe? Why shouldn't the government just have financed the church? Um, I, I'm not comfortable with this. I'll be honest with you. And uh, there's probably more I could say, but I just wanted to put it on your radar. Now, here's something else. This is kind of like, this made the waves uh, yesterday. Uh, the Evangelical Immigration Table um, on April 13th uh, put out a letter, and, and I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna read this to you, but I'll, I'll basically tell you essentially what it says is, hey, because of COVID-19, you need to release some of these illegal migrants uh, that you, you have um, waiting, they're, they're detained, waiting um, to be sorted out. You need to release them. And, and that's, and because they're made in the image of God, it's all the familiar arguments that don't hold any water that we've talked about many times on this uh, podcast. And, and so Russell Moore, he, he signed it. And people are saying, why do you handle this religious liberty? I mean, it's literally in the name of eth ethics and religious liberty. You had one job, <laughs> religious liberty. Um, why in the world are, are you treating the religious liberty issue with kid gloves if you talk about it at all, but you're pounding home that churches need to take government money or at least feel comfortable with it. And you're somehow have time to uh, lend your voice to support illegal migrants being released during this pandemic. Guys, we don't need an ERLC in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, in fact, they're doing more damage than anything else. If you're in the, the SBC uh, and your church is not itemizing their giving, then money's going to the ERLC. And you really need to consider if that's, um, if that's good. Now, I was going to play this for you. I don't have time, but um, I... I'll just summarize. Russell Moore was on a show, I think it's two weeks ago now. And um, it was, I think it was the world and everything in it. And he was asked, what do you think of what, about de Blasio's uh, edict that he would shut down a church permanently or a place of worship if they 
uh, didn't close. And Russell Moore basically said, well, it's unfortunate he said that. And, and you compare the language Russell Moore uses for something like that, which is egregious, um, to what he said, I think it was in 2015 with the mosque issue. And he was adamant, you know, um, that Muslims are made in the image of God and that this is something that ERLC needs to be behind. And you hear Russell Moore when he talks about racism and how adamant he is. It's demonic. It's evil. He uses absolute language. And then something that is about religious liberty, a threat to religious liberty, literally his job, well, it's unfortunate. And, and so I was going to make that point that, that, you know, something's wrong with this guy and the organization that he represents. Um, and so speaking of separating families, I know a guy who also wants to separate families. Russell Moore is very concerned uh, about families being separated on the southern border. Well, here's something that we should be more concerned about. But again, um, hardly anyone's talking about it. Most of the transmission that's actually happening in many countries now is happening in the household at family level. In some senses, transmission has been taken off the streets and pushed back into family units. Now we need to go and look in families to find those people who may be sick and remove them and isolate them in a, in a safe and dignified manner. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to find which family members are sick. Well, the government would have to go in forcibly, perhaps even to do that. And then once you're in there and find the sick family member, you separate them out and quarantine them somewhere else. So have to have facilities for that. Someone's paying for that. And this is the horror, isn't it? That evangelicals at the evangelical immigration table decry. You, can, you, can't, sell a, uh, you, you can't separate families. That's wrong. That's, that's a sin because people are made in the image of God. That's the argument. If they're made in the image of God. You can't deport them. You can't separate them. But here we have a spokesman, some kind of representative for the World Health Organization talking about this. And Donald Trump, to his credit, wants to defund the World Health Organization. In the last two days, liberals have been very upset about this and thinking, well, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You can't do that. When the reality is, um, <laughs> these are the guys that got China wrong. They said China had it under control. And now we get this nonsense. Why wouldn't you defund that organization? Now, I don't know to what extent that this has been implemented or tried to be implemented. I don't know if countries in Europe have thought about doing this. I, I, I couldn't see this being done in the United States, but then again, there's a lot of things happening right now I couldn't see happening in the United States that are happening right in front of me. So um, all that to say, <laughs> um, evangelicals uh, that care about the immigration issue and separating families is their uh, battle cry don't seem to be saying much about this. And you'd think they would be if they were going to be consistent. So I want to point that out. Now, uh, an evangelical pastor who I wanted to highlight for you because he's a listener of the Conversations That Matter podcast. And I'm just so proud that he did this. But he, he is a pastor and he was on the news recently. Uh, his name is Matthew Cook. And uh, here is what he had to say. A weekly tradition for millions, and it's considered an essential activity under Governor Bill Lee's executive stay-at-home order. It's a designation Pastor Matthew Cook is pleased with. It would be a violation of the First Amendment and our God-given rights uh, to peaceably assemble and to worship. Uh, no law should be made preventing the uh, uh, respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. While he plans to have church, he also plans to follow health guidelines, asking members to sit at least six feet apart and to avoid shaking hands. 
He sees church as no more risky or less essential than going to the grocery store. We've told people, don't come if, you, if, you're, if you're sick at all, don't come. If you have any autoimmune disorders or if you're over 60 and you're concerned, please don't come. Uh, if, uh, or if you're just scared. He also doesn't believe the government should be able to take those choices away. LMU law professor Stuart Harris explains it's an ability they have during an emergency. In normal times, it would be extraordinary for any governor to lock down the state or forbid travel and likely would violate one or more constitutional rights. But these are not ordinary times. And in extraordinary times when the public health is at risk, governors like Governor Lee have extraordinary powers. And in these extraordinary times, this pastor says he's glad to be preaching. Whether you die from coronavirus or whether you die from some other cause, one day you're going to die. And to spread the message that there's hope beyond this life, beyond the grave, is worth it to me. In Knoxville, Blake Stevens, WATE 6, on your side. Matthew, excellent job. Couldn't have said it better. I'm glad you're out there. Keep it up. Uh, this was uh, from last week, uh, right before Easter, that recording. And um, just, just thankful to have folks like Matthew in the audience. I wanted to juxtapose what the lawyer said in that video uh, with what Chuck Baldwin uh, was going to say. But I actually just received a phone call from Chuck Baldwin's office. And I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe you can pray uh, for them. But um, apparently an emergency of some kind came up. So I'm going to have to reschedule uh, Pastor Baldwin and we will get into uh, the Constitution and Romans 13 and all of that stuff at some point. But it won't be today. So... Um, sorry to get your hopes up at the beginning of the video. Um, didn't mean to do that, but uh, emergencies do come up. I know my father's a pastor, and I've seen that happen many times. And uh, told them uh, that told the the office I called back, left a message, said that I would pray uh, for them with whatever's happening. Um, so to to wrap things up here, uh, we do have anti-Christian bigotry being continued. I gave some examples of this. Um, uh, last episode, uh, but we, we have more going on. Uh, many of you have probably heard of some of these examples. Uh, the Mississippi pastor, uh, that um, his congregation was fined for going to a drive-in service. He's going to sue. Um, you have Louisville, Kentucky, and I, I mentioned that earlier. Al Mohler was upset about that. Uh, they were forbidding people to do drive-in services for Easter. The Kentucky governor, anyone at mass gatherings this weekend must quarantine. So if you go to church, you got to quarantine. And of course, again, uh, we've made the point that we don't make up these rules for going to Lowe's or going to the Walmart or going to even Planned Parenthood or the liquor store. I mean, it it's specifically seems to be, for the most part, tailored. Um, it it's, a, it's a category of personal get-together, so like parties, things that aren't essential, right? A birthday party is not essential, but somehow church gets put into that category as non-essential. And that's wrong. That's, that's, uh, that's a clear telltale sign that we've gone secular. Now, here's one that you probably haven't heard of. This is uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York. This is his stay-at-home order, his recent one. He's issued like three. This is the recent one. All non-essential gatherings of individuals of any size for any reasons, for, okay, listen to that, individuals of any size, any size, so two people, right, for any reason. So if you and one other person want to gather for any reason, worship services, parties, celebrations, or other social events, are canceled or postponed. I mean, does this mean that if you have a date with your girlfriend, it's canceled or postponed? 
I mean, the mayor, uh, mayor, the governor of Michigan was doing something like this, right? Where you can't go to someone else's house, even a family or family relative's house, something like that. All right, New York State is, I mean, this is draconian. Uh, Congregate services within houses of worship are prohibited. So you can't go to a house of worship. Houses of worship may only be used by individuals and only where appropriate social distancing of at least six feet between people can be maintained. That's contradictory. I don't even understand what that means. So, so you can't gather, but now you're saying that in a house of worship, uh, it can only be used by individuals and only where appropriate social distancing is in place. Further, individuals should not gather in houses of worship, homes, or other locations for religious services. So if you had the dream of getting together at a little house church, you can't do that either. So if you, it doesn't matter if you're not in the church building. If you are in your home gathering, he, he by the way, he released this right after Passover Seder. So his Jewish base, he's a Democrat, his Jewish base, they, they're not going to be as mad at him because they were able to have Passover. But he released it right before, of course, Resurrection Sunday, Good Friday. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, this is the kind of thing that, that drives pastors nuts because what are they supposed to do with this? It's contradictory. It's draconian. Each department can probably interpret it any way they want, each barracks for the state troopers. Uh, I mean... <laughs> It, it's crazy. It is so crazy. And, and um, man, I, I really, I, I'm glad that Hillary Clinton is not the president of the United States right now, be, because I can't imagine what the attorney general would be doing. As it is, fortunately, we have an attorney general that, um, even though I don't like the federal, I don't think it's right for the federal government, the national government to get involved in state issues. That should be a state thing. Um, but let's be honest, we know that those precedents have been set. It's wrong. It shouldn't happen. But because we live in this brave new world, where the modern state runs everything. I'm just glad it's someone like Bob Barr instead of whoever Hillary Clinton would have appointed uh, because you know, these things would stand in place and I, I just, I think we lose religious liberty. I mean, at least this can be challenged in court somehow. So that's, uh, that's all I have for you today. Just wanted to share that. And like I said, there's a big video coming. Uh, stay tuned for that. Um, I think you're really, it's, it's going to open your eyes a little bit. Um, and it's really going to add some new information uh, that you may not have realized before. So uh, look forward to seeing you next time. I hope this video uh, was helpful. And uh, hopefully, even though it's a bit of a rant, <laughs> hopefully it encouraged you a little. You're not alone. Um, government overreach is something that many of us are concerned about. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you a quick story, even though I'm wrapping up here. I was at a, uh, I'm not going to say where, <laughs> I was at a, a barbecue joint and, um, I, I actually, um, <laughs> okay, I'll back up. This story is actually pretty good. This is a personal story. So you, you may enjoy this. I I've taken to trying to ride my bike a little more because you, you can't go to the gym right now. And I have an issue with my foot that, um, I, running is really tough. So I've been trying to ride my bike. Well, I've broken down three times in the last week. So the first time, uh, I broke down, I put these new pedals on and these new shoes. I've never tried that before. And in the middle of a thunderstorm, a thunderstorm comes up, I'm actually riding on fields and the bike pedal comes off in my shoe. If they're connected and I'm running and it's connected to my shoe, I'm running with the bike, trying to find cover. And I, I sort of found cover at this Methodist church, kind of like underneath the front there was a little overhang um so that was the first instance and fortunately uh someone some somehow a contractor came into the parking lot after the storm passed i caught the edge of it it wasn't bad it looked like it was going to be bad and then it wasn't 
And, uh, but he, he had an Allen key and I was able to put the pedal back on. And then, um, second time was last Saturday and I spent four hours basically trying to patch uh, a tire on my bicycle, which is ridiculous. It's almost embarrassing that I mentioned this, but the reason it took that long, cause it was because I didn't have a bicycle patch. All I had was, I, I was next to an auto parts store and I had a tire patch for tire patches for a big, you know, tire that would go on a car. And I'm trying to use that to patch my bicycle tire. And it's just way too big and I don't have any tools. And um, I tried everything imaginable to get this tire back up and running and it wasn't working. And I somehow I was able to get the leak slow enough that I could get home. But while I was there, by the way, that story doesn't end there. I have another piece to tell you, <laughs> but, but uh, while I was there, there was a barbecue place across the street. And of course it's next to a grocery store. It's like a food lion or something. See that narrows it down for people who want to know where this is, I guess. Uh, it's backed out onto the street, the line. That's how many people are going to to Food Lion. And, um, and, and so in my neck of the woods, the roads are more crowded now during the day than they were before the pandemic. I don't know where everyone's going, but the social distancing thing isn't working because everyone's now in the Petri dishes of Food Lion and Walmart and um, or they're out on hiking trails, I guess, or I don't know where they're going, but it's busy. The traffic's busy. And everyone was lined up, the line's going on the street. Well, right next to that line is this barbecue place and there's a sign that says open. And I'm thinking, what place is open? So I, I walk in and there's a guy sitting there eating and and I, I'm like, I, and there's no sign. So I walk up and I'm like, well, I'd like to get a sandwich. And I talked to uh, the guy running the place and I said, so if 10 people come in here, do you have to, you know, tell one of them to leave or, and he, he kind of pauses. And then I, I just said, is that how it works? Cause he wasn't answering me. He was looking down and he looks up at me and he goes, yes, comrade. <laughs> and I said, I said, Oh, you, I take it. You don't care for what's going on. And he started ranting about, you know, the communists that are, you know, taking over this country and there's no personal responsibility left and all that. And so, uh, I told my wife later and we, we haven't done this and we probably won't, but I told her later, I said, Hey, if you, if you want to go out to a restaurant, I know one that's still open. Um, anyway, so, uh, Oh, and then last night, um, I'm on my bicycle, and um, it it just the uh, uh, the chain the uh, the piece that holds the chain I forget the name of it it just comes it, it breaks in half for no reason so so those are my adventures but uh, anyways hope that was helpful and uh, God bless. Ah, spring! Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.